Welcome to the MC Universe, where the Lorehounds, your guides to the multiverse and beyond. I'm David. I'm Alicia. And I'm Jean. And we're here to recap episode four of Marvel's Secret Invasion on Disney Plus, entitled Beloved. We'll talk you through the whole episode, pointing out things you might have missed and throwing out theories about what it all means. And stay tuned until the end of the show for Comics Corner, where Jean will get into the comic book comparisons and Alicia will share a little Greek mythology. We've also got some listener feedback, which we will get to after we finish the episode breakdown. Speaking of feedback, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Email your secret invasion feedback and theories to mcu at thelorehounds.com or head over to our website at thelorehounds.com and use the contact form or record us a voicemail we can include in the next episode. For ad-free versions of this and all of our podcasts, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. It's our birthday. Yay! July is our one-year podcasting anniversary. We have some special Patreon benefits for anyone who is subscribed. Anyone. I mean, anyone who is a current subscriber at the end of this month, we're going to send you a free sticker that has our Lorehounds logo and a special handwritten Elven inscription. Check out the end of the podcast. I'll have some more details about that, along with our programming schedule for the rest of July. Finally, we'd be forever grateful if you could help us get more ears tuned into the Lorehounds MC universe. All you need to do is drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts is especially helpful, even if it's just a few quick words. We read all the reviews and they mean a lot to us. Okay, uh, generic spoiler warning, <laughs> right? So uh, all first four episodes of Secret Invasion and basically anything in the MCU were is, is sort of fair game. Uh, just before warned that we're going to get into details and talk about stuff. We can't talk about this episode, I think, without talking about the rest of the MCU because we definitely saw some uh, MCU uh, juicy bits, I guess you could say. Jean, what did you make of this episode? We're um, two away from the finale. It was generally a what the F uh, situation <laughs> for me <laughs> as I was watching. Uh, <laughs> there were a lot of moments that that got me um, both good and bad, um, saying to myself, shaking my head and just be like, oh, wow, okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So there were thought. I, I thought there were parts that were well done. There were some parts that I could have done without. Um, there were some characters that I wish I had seen. And yeah. And I think I'll save most of of my uh, critique from when we do the scene by scene breakdown. But generally, as I said before, it was a big WTF. <laughs> okay. Alicia, are you uh, in the WTF camp or what do you got? Well, I'll just say that I'm, I'm glad that our recording schedule left me some cool down time. So um, <laughs> <laughs> step but, away from the screen and let yeah. yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but I have to say, actually, there are some things that I do feel quite positively about. And then it's just the problem. It's there's just specific things that like. I specifically as a person pay attention to, for instance, I'm an idealist and I feel like there's nobody, the writer of the script is not, does not understand idealism. So they just make it sound stupid and impossible, you know, or, um, I don't really feel like the, uh, the script writer understands how Russian politics and maneuvering works. Uh-huh. <laughs> And it's just uh, all this, it, all this stuff like that. But that being said, there were other things that I really liked, like 
the Nixilla thing that that broke my heart. Um, the use of the poem that episode, this episode, uh, really moved me. I was really annoyed with Rhodey for a while, but like, I'm wondering if maybe I'll end up liking the villain Rava now that we've seen his pretty scroll form. <laughs> so, well, so I, I think you win some internet points, don't you? Well, I mean, I, I think it was being called so l- loud and wide that uh, not really. Okay. I'm just part of, <laughs> I'm just part you of the mob. You can take him if you want. I was just going to say on the roadie stuff, mm-hmm. uh, there were some, when I was watching the episode, I was like, oh, yeah, Alicia's right, as they were building up to his scroll right. reveal. Yes. Because you were pointing out that the scrolls are callous in a way. Right. Yes. And that they can be very cavalier about certain things and, and uh, kind of uh, alpha doggy or something like that. And and I was really noticing that with Rhodey's character because in the movies, he's a soldier. He's a tough guy. He's a badass. But at the same time... There's a, a humanity to him. There's a, a, a friendliness about him. And this yeah. version of Rhodey, it really, in this episode, was really apparent. Wow, wow this guy's a, a bit of a rough edge. He's got a bit of a rough edge to him. He was being a jackass, but then it's actually Rava being, you know, and then it's for some reason, why do I like it better when I think it's this like it's sassy Rava. female villain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great acting by. Um, Don Cheadle. So yeah, thank you, Don Cheadle. I, I yeah, and I've said this before. I'm on record. Don Cheadle is one of my favorite actors in the in our current pantheon. Uh, so it was really fun to see him playing around with his character attitudes. I'm glad that they at least caught up with all the trailer stuff. Probably, I think so. Hopefully, that means they can surprise us in the last third. I have one major issue with this episode: where TF was Sonya. Okay. <laughs> Not there. Can I ask right. the same yeah. question? That mm-hmm. yeah. I was I was looking for her specifically, and it, it was mind-boggling that she wasn't involved in any way with what was going down. Interesting. Okay, so maybe she'll she'll come in at the last minute there with a little Deus Ex Machina to solve this, the you know to to pull everybody's bacon out of the fire. Yeah. Is she a scroll? Hmm. Uh, that is, is she a scroll? Scrolls all the way down. I don't know, because she, I mean, she'd have to be a double secret operative reverse spy scroll if, if right? Because she's not a, a, a advancing Gravix agenda. She's working against it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is there another secret cell of scrolls that are trying to counter, uh, counter the counter effort? Something like that? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think there's got to be more than two factions. I think that's got to be a reveal that's coming. Okay. I agree with that. All right. Well, I felt that this was kind of a 50-50 episode as well. When we opened with the with Gaia healing, I was my initial reaction was, okay, we've got Glenn crawling out from underneath the dumpster <laughs> in season six of The Walking Dead. And I really got nervous for the episode. But then we got into the stuff with Vera and the conversation with, with Rhodey and, and Fury. And that was really great. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing black characters and black actors having their own conversations about their own stuff and the things that they're involved in. It kind of made me think of the fact that we don't get a lot of this. And so it the, same with uh, the previous conversation with Fury and, and really? Colonel Rhodes, where they're talking about the things that are important to them from their points of views in, 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 the, in a way that they um, want to communicate with each other. And I, I really found that refreshing. So I, I really enjoyed 
seeing these two scenes, the Carver poem. I'm not a big poetry person, nor do I know a lot about Carver, but I adore this poem. And I, the first time I heard it was in the Birdman movie with uh, Michael Keaton. Right. Good movie. And I, I've ever since kind of not adopted it, but hold, I hold that poem a little bit close and I find it a very potent fragment of a poem or whatever, however you would describe his stuff. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. There was some stuff in the motorcade scene that really strained credibility in my opinion. I accept it as a plot device and to move things forward, but there was just some some dumb stuff in there and then some real head scratcher stuff too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and we can we can save it for then, but I was really confused. Dude has some powers and he didn't really use them, so I, I don't. I, it confused me. I, I, I don't understand why certain things happen. Didn't happen, I guess. So I don't. You guys got any more thoughts on the season overall or the episode overall? Yeah, we'll we'll get into it. I mean, yeah, at this it. point I'm I mean it's going to I'm going to see how I feel at the end of of us discussing this now, but at this point I'm sort of just reserving judgment until the end and trying not to. I think they sort of put me on the wrong foot with the Maria death and and now I have to kind of recalibrate and like be more open to the positive aspects of the show. Right, so that's right. that's the approach I'm currently trying to take. Got it. Put eat yeah, as we said during uh Mandalorian, uh, put on some pajamas, eat some breakfast cereal, and don't think too hard about it. Just go along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. I just need them to specifically do the things that I care about most better. And that's the thing is, and that's why it's, it's so particular to me, you know, my opinion right, and right. somebody else is going to come with from a different perspective and experience it completely differently. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you guys feel, are, are we in dumpster fire territory no. or is this no. going to be, this is fine. It's no. fine. This is fine for me. This is okay. fine. There, there's, there are things that I don't like, but um, I, I'm digging the season. Uh, I'm I'm digging the story. Um, okay, there are just things that that stick out to me. Um, yeah, but no, this is not a dumpster fire by by any means. Okay, if, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, there's 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 good stuff in there. It just um, yeah, lacks some of the polish that I had hoped it would have. There was a, a news story uh, just the other day. Two additional comments of uh, from Bob Iger. I didn't read the the articles, Jean. I think you reacted on the Discord to somebody. Had posted something. I'm yeah. sure, Alicia, you've uh, consumed all, all this as well. What did we? What are we? What are we getting? What signals is D- Disney sending out right now about the MCU, the state of the MCU in general? Um, for for my part, is just that Bob Iger is an entitled. Um, <laughs> So. Yeah, <laughs> he he used to That's, be known as like the execs for creatives, but this second right. second career, Iteration. he's not. Uh, is he not really who he is? Scroll at Disney. He's been replaced. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. That the entire. I I I am so done with this thought that there is Marvel superhero fatigue. There is not. There is a, a very uh, powerful and and loud minority of folks who are trying to push this agenda that, mm-hmm. you know, we're tired of these films um, because they feel in a way, I think, that these films are beneath being called 
film. <laughs> uh-huh. if, that, if that makes sense. Like these are not really movies. But we can't, but there's, there's the snobs, but I think what we're seeing even more is uh, people turning on, turning on them from within the fandom. And I think it's, it's a very vocal, very much minority. And a lot of it is tied to like racism and sexism. And, uh, Oh yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Cause they don't like these stories being told. So yeah, there's, this double-edged sword that that's swinging right now. Um, and thank you for pointing that out, Alicia, because, you know, it's, it's frustrating to, to, to hear or to read um, Iger make these points. Yeah. When he's, you know, I don't think he, he sees the value in what they're actually doing. So when I hear people say they need to slow down and they need to, you know, not do as many things and because people get tired, it does tie into this overall feeling that they they want to tell stories that don't necessarily uh, have the oomph that these stories are trying to commit to. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's I frustrating. Know Iger's getting a lot of pressure from the board from a financial perspective to cut back, and he's also he's being blamed a lot for when he was last in the seat. He um, was behind a lot of the expensive acquisitions like Marvel and like Fox and, you know, and now people are like, well, uh, the, the business, the, the people who are the board, they're filling the pinch and they're putting the pressure on him. Wall um, Street, the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Earnings, exactly. pressure for earnings. And, but I don't know why. I mean, I guess the thing is Marvel makes money, not with the TV shows, which have been kind of more successful recently. They make more money with the movies, but with the movies, they've earned many billions. So, right. yeah. You know, as a, as, the, as a non-comic book person and just the superficial fan representation here, this is, you know, I, I hear the, the drum beats of Marvel fatigue and superhero fatigue. And there are, I have, I have two reactions. One, I, I get a little confused, and I said this on the last podcast, I get a little confused when everything is an existential crisis. We have one more yet major threat to the earth, and you know we've got all these you know various super beings running around and all this kind of stuff, and, and I can't always square that circle in, in my head. That said, and, and as a separate issue, with the, the amount of content, my chief complaint is, give me good content. I am not always, I don't always feel like I'm getting good content. I'm getting, I feel like I'm being IP managed. I feel mm-hmm. like the, the drive to, to move the, you know, to, to print money from this IP sometimes supersedes the ability of writers and actors and showrunners and, and creators to create. And there's a, there's a inherent tension that you need to have there. I think in my yeah. opinion with, Matrix movies is a good example of that. The first movie was revolutionary. It was groundbreaking. It was so creative. They did so much with so little. And then the studio just threw cash, crazy cash at them. And then the next couple of movies, while they've got some interesting core concepts, it just got overblown because there wasn't a creative tension there. There wasn't a constraints on creativity and, you know, to spur creativity. And so I just sometimes feel that the IP, the machinery of intellectual property is driving things to an extent that uh, I feel overwashed, whereas uh, the quality isn't 
doesn't always get to match. The creatives don't always get to come up and shape the stories. It, it feels like they're being driven well, uh, yeah. in, in a direction that, that's not always, or at, maybe at a pace even, that is not always suitable. I think the, pa- the pace is a big thing, but I think that there's also a d- big difference between why, you know, I was saying that we've had some of the more exciting stuff on television, but that's also because um, the movie stuff is that's where they're pumping out the money and that's where they're most afraid to stray or, you know, uh-huh. lest somebody cry Eternals, which is a movie I love, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but on the TV side is where they've allows, you know, auteurs to have more creative freedom. And that's why, you know, Werewolf by Night is like right. now my favorite Halloween special in the history of Halloween specials. Um, you know, you have Loki, you have just, yeah, uh, like in Miss Marvel. Yeah, WandaVision, where people are given more freedom to uh, experiment and they're just afraid to do that on the movie side, I think, because uh, that's where they make the money. Interesting. But and, and the thing is, too, it's okay for me for everything to not hit. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's that's you know you're not gonna bat a thousand. You, you're not even gonna bat three hundred most of the time. <laughs> you know you're gonna fail, but it's okay to fail. It's like this whole thing with with the fatigue. It, I don't have sci-fi fatigue. True. Right? I don't, I don't have yeah. sci-fi fatigue. We just you know? firing we're just firing up foundation and I'm, you know, exactly. fully getting into that. Exactly. So I'm I'm looking forward to more sci-fi, which I put the Marvel and the DC movies squarely in. This is this is fantasy science fiction. And so I'm Marvel as a genre, not just a top, not Absolutely. just a, a with, content with universe. The, when people talk about the fatigue, they're like separating it, putting it apart from what it generally is a part of. Okay. Right. This is science fiction fantasy. Right. And as a whole, I am nowhere near tired of this genre because I get so much of it when, you know, for a very long time in my adult life, there was none that I could really look forward to. Right. right. <laughs> We've got a lot now. And we've got a lot, and not all of them are going to be great. Not all of them are going to be good, mm-hmm. but that's okay mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I want to see people take the chance on telling right. these stories because these are some some stories should be told. Right? So separating the the signal from the noise here a little bit in certain quarters and certain agendas, uh, utilizing the fatigue argument kind of masks the fact that, hey, this is a big genre. There's space here for success, for failure, for trying different things out. L- let it all unfold and and just be cool about it, as opposed to somebody's got a secret agenda that, not a secret, you know, but they're, they're, they're driving an agenda and they're using a particular argument that isn't necessarily uh, yes. authentic or, 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 um, they're they're intentionally bending the argument for their own purposes. I would say yes to that. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Alicia, thoughts? I mean, I think yeah. I think that Jean put it well. I think that um, I, it's I, I want them to take risks, and so I don't mind if it's not perfect. And it's why uh, I'm looking at what I liked in this, and but I might bitch just a little bit about the things I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring criticism where criticism yeah. is We should never Absolutely. not bring critical analysis. So cool. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, 
Alicia, uh, you've done our notes again. So thank you so much for, for doing that. And we can get into the uh, scene by scene. And we're back. Okay, let's get into our scene-by-scene breakdown. Alicia, would you walk us through? So we open with the way we kind of expected to open. Gaia miraculously healing with Extremis. It turns out that when she was getting that passcode from Bob last episode, she apparently also had time to scan the scientist lady's brain and give herself at least one superpower. Now, do you guys think it's possible that she added more? Um... (laughs) No, but no. then who knows at this point, because the the flashback was so uh, quick. So we have no idea really about how, why, and I can't even answer that question because I was so pissed <laughs> off. No, okay. you were. I, I absolutely. Okay. I absolutely, pissed off at. Not pissed at, off at her being alive. Just not pissed out. off at her, at her having powers, but in the way that they explain Got it. Right. It was a cheap trick. It was cheap. It was, you know, because there's a gravity to, right? Mm-hmm. There's a gravity to that to that decision. How do you, how does she know it's going to work? Mm-hmm. What what plays into and, and what plays into doing that? Right? Mm-hmm. Did she did she in those files? I I don't remember. Did she see um, that it worked on Gravic? And she said, okay, I'm going to do it as well. Did she know that this would be the the outcome? Was just just a guess on her part. What I would well, have maybe liked. the go ahead. No, I mean I'm trying to fill in head cannon gaps. Maybe like the human scientist um, was the one who helped Gravik before the scroll replaced her. Maybe, but we don't know. No, and I I would have liked to known a little bit more yeah. about what played into her decision into actually jumping into this machine. Um, that it it just seems like as if she was so trusting of of the. You know, technology like she was sure, sure that it's going to work. Amateur scriptwriter here for a second. I, I thinking, you know, talk having you talk this through, and then just thinking in my head, I would have loved to see something along the lines of not a flashback, but in the like, say the last episode, we see her do the stuff and go and you know g- get herself super transformed and then escape. And then when she's facing Gravik, we know that she knows that Gravik doesn't know, and he shoots her. And that, to me, would be high stakes. Yes. That would be interesting. But But to throw it in as a cheap trick, like, oh, guess what? You know, we've killed another character. Ha, ha, ha. Right, right. Yeah. So what's the cliffhanger? Because they definitely wanted to leave that on the cliffhanger. Still still shoot her and end the episode right as we, we shoot her. But then we know. And then we know that she did it already and then did it work. Uh, they, right. she, you know, they could even included something. I, I, and I'm not saying that my idea is the idea. Yeah, I'm no, not, I'm I, no writer. I agree that sounds more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you could have done something. Uh, you could have done something different with the scene that would have given us stakes like Jean is saying. Yeah. And we could have even seen Guy even being more de- devious, knowing that she's protected Gravik doesn't know that. So Gravik thinks she's dead. Now she's a free agent. I mean, she still is, mm-hmm. right. but it would have given me an insight into Gaia's cunning that she's willing to put her life on the line in that way 
to fool him so that she can get a free hand to, you know, do whatever is next. Right. That's interesting. But yeah. to just do a, the cold cliffhanger with the flashback after the fact, that's not interesting. I've seen that a bazillion times. And again, yeah. th- this, this goes to my, you know, overall feeling on her is that they're not doing enough telling me about her. Right. Agreed. Right. I mean, no, I Am- Amelia Clark, y'all. <laughs> like, yeah. Use right. her. Well, yeah. Um, so I paused on the computer when she was like loading it up, getting the <laughs> mad giant magic uh, science ball ready. And um, there were three tabs open. So there was Extremis okay. on top. And behind that was Frost Beast. And behind that was Call Obsidian. Uh, no Groot there. But it does. It makes me wonder if possibly those other two might show up later. We'll have to see, I guess. Because we know that they can be doubled up because Gravik has, we learn, has has more than one. Has at least two that we know. Yeah. Yeah. I I would assume that he immediately shot himself up with the whole suite, but yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Definitely. If you guys had to pick one of the four, which would you choose? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know what the other two do. Um, So, yeah, Call Obsidian kind of makes you like this big, strong, uh, semi-impervious type of figure. Like the thing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Frost Beast, I guess that's, we don't really know much about that, but I guess like ice Frost powers. Beast doesn't have powers. Really. I mean, it's yeah, a, I don't know. They can be frozen and yeah, survive. I don't know. Like, we, they don't, you know, project any sort of, you know, like frost powers or anything like yeah. that. They just are. They're, you know, they're like an elephant. An elephant is just an elephant, right? Um, and I think a Frost Beast is just a Frost Beast. Yeah, which is so I weird. guess really the decisions are between, and then Groot obviously has the um, you know, all the Groot powers, right? Growing and, and, and has the some regenerative, the, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I think I might go with Groot just because you could do some fun things. Yeah, you know, I think I would, you can you can grow and stretch and yeah, move around in, in some different ways. Uh, whereas Extremis, you're just uh, at least what we've seen for with this particular power is just, it's basically a healing power. I uh, and you can like shoot fire out of your mouth. Right. <laughs> we haven't seen him do that yet. Which not in this show. No. Head scratcher, why not? But anyway. Yeah. It's coming, I'm sure. What about you, Joe? Um I'm I'm torn between uh Colopsidian and Extremis. Interesting. Yeah, I'm torn between those two because um who doesn't want to be, you know, like really strong, right? superhuman yeah. strength type of situation and um he's almost if not on par with the hulk strength in the mcu um so yeah i i i, I kind of like that um he's really durable you know like like you said he he's almost invulnerable um so i i like that um and he's you know for all of the the superhuman traits that he, that you can get, he's super fast. He's you know faster than the average person or whatever. I like Colipsid, actually. Okay, yeah, I think okay. I would go with that. All right. So if you if uh, David is Groot and you're Colipsidian, I'll take Extremis and we'll okay. leave we'll leave uh, Frostbeast <laughs> for John, and that's the Lore Avengers. There you go. <laughs> oh, nice! I see what you did there. I see what you did there, Alicia. Good job. Hey, he's not here to claim. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, now uh, Gravik thinks that um, Amelia Clark is dead. Thinks the guy is dead, and we flash back again. Only we flash back more recently to 2012 in Paris, the same year of the first Avengers movie with Battle of New York, and uh, Varsilla and Fury are in a cafe. She's reading a newspaper article in French about it. Um, and she says, I figured you were behind it because you have a powerful sense of righteousness and understand the universe is a dangerous place that home is worth fighting for. The weak are worth protecting. Jean, do you think Nick is still that man? No, no, I don't. I think, um, for this entire series, Nick Fury has been a jerk. He's, mm. he's been unlikable yeah, to me. I agree. He's been everything that you think a government agent is. And yeah, I, I don't see anything of what uh, Vira um, saw when she fell. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree because I keep saying the testiness, maybe that's about scrolls, but I'm also like, maybe it's just about the script writing. Yeah. Maybe. We, he's, he's also been through a lot. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. He's got some cynicism and he's... For a mere mortal human being, he's he's experienced some pretty crazy stuff. And then who knows what he's been doing up in space all this time. Who knows? So I, I like the fact that they've taken this character. We really had just a very two-dimensional view of him from the movies, anyway, and the and you know what we've seen of him so far, except for Miss Marvel, I guess we did get some, you know, his backstory. But prior to then, he Captain was just Marvel, his, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Captain Marvel. Apologies. Marvels is coming. Yeah. Yes, um, it is. Uh, but prior to that, he was just a force of nature, two-dimensional badass. And so I like that they've taken him and uh, made him more mundane. You know, uh, he's grouchy and he's upset about things and uh, he's left some things unattended and that is not going well for him. And so he's reacting to that. In a jerky way, <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to see some depth. I like to see some three dimensionality to it. I totally agree with you. I, it's not that I don't like portrayal. <laughs> you like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I love, yeah. I love the story of Nick Fury in this uh, series. I love it. But him as a character right now, he's just yeah, he's he's not very likable. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's not a very likable person. And the only reason I, I'm I want to root for him is because I don't want the earth to be destroyed. It's not, it's not, you know, I don't want humanity to be wiped off the face of the earth. So (laughs) I'm forced to root for him. If that was taken off the board and this was just a mundane, uh, you know, affair, then would I be rooting for Fury to come out on top? I don't know. Well, yeah. One thing this episode does do right, though, I think, is um, is this poem by Raymond Carver called "Late Fragment." And um, so, during this flashback scene, we we get them. They they do it as a dialogue, as a conversation. So I thought we could do it as a conversation too. Um, <laughs> remind the audience how it goes. Okay. Uh, and did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth, yeah, and I have to say, I got, I teared up um, both times, especially the second time. <laughs> <laughs> As I said at the opening, I adore this poem. I I think it's, 
I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Come on, guys. <laughs> uh, and I was surprised that they brought it out. It, it's, um, I think it's something that's very soulful and goes to the heart of our uh, experiences as people on this earth. And for them to bring this forward, I was pleased. And to bring it forward in the space of the relationship uh, between these two characters and these two actors, I also found a, a lot of resonance. And I was... Whereas I was like, oh no, here we go, you know, fake out deaths and more of this just, you know, superficial BS. And then suddenly we cut to this scene and I was really vested back into the episode and into these characters. The tragic love story, you'll always get me with that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Priscilla, Vara, Priscilla, I don't know why they gave her two names, but <laughs> she's she's one of those characters where um, on the one hand, I get angry with the way that people talk about her or the way that she's portrayed as being inherently suspicious. But on the other hand, she, I guess that is the experience that especially like a, a female spy has, um, where there's something they're seen as extra suspicious by their male counterparts. Mm. And she's kind of a very fascinating character with a lot of layers because I don't doubt for a second, you know, the actress plays her so well. Um, I don't doubt for a second that she's m madly in love with Nick to this day. Mm. It, it it was a, a a great scene, yeah. And and as I, I as I watched it, I just kept saying to myself, like you asked earlier, David, he just still the same, right? Mm -hmm. And I watched it and and just thought, like, man, this is so messed up because it was almost foreboding sitting there watching them because right you, you, you can feel something yeah, ominous coming exactly yeah. exactly so it was just like man this is they're really they're really tugging at me here because something bad is about to happen yes um, totally and i just felt it you know and i felt it for them not felt it for mm -hmm. the series but i felt it for these two characters like something bad is going to happen between that's going to greatly affect you know and i didn't know if it was going to happen then or if it was something that was going to happen, you know, in the series proper time. So it was really, uh, it was really well done. Really well. Mm. Kudos to, kudos to the entire production for, for that. And this is where this show, uh, buoys between being like, ah, and then, Oh, Hey, yeah. cool. Interesting. You know, character development, relationship stakes. Right. It's right. like if, if it were, um, if this were like Project Runway or something, you know, it'd be like um, a gorgeous design, but the hems are unfinished. You're right. <laughs> Good analogy. I like it. All right, so we, we stick with Priscilla as we flash back to the present, which present MCU again, 2025. Yeah, we, we find her sitting in a church, which is an interesting nod again to religion, uh, but a very yes. human religion. And the other interesting thing about it is we have we have an all white British choir singing a gospel that, you know, was born oh, of slavery of, of which one of the most famous versions was sung by Paul Robeson, the character Sonia referenced in the first episode. Yes. So what, what do you make of all that show? That the show is, is really good at what they're trying to get to, <laughs> to, to point out, which is what you just did, <laughs> you know, like the, the complexities of, of this earth that, right. that we're on. 
and for Avara to be sitting there in that church in the form of a black woman trying to make sense of these humans. It was nicely, nicely done. And I love that the callback was the song, like you said, made famous by, by Paul Robeson. Yeah. That called back to Nick Fury being referenced as right. an anti-Robeson earlier in the series. Yeah. Well, you called him the anti-Robeson. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David, what did you, what did you think of Fury, I'm oh, sorry, of Rhodey in this scene? Or, you know, we now know that this was, um, that this was scroll Rhodey. Yeah, I think this was a, a fun reveal in after we were left scratching our heads with why did she go? Why did they have her go through all that trouble uh, to the safety deposit box to, to get a gun? And obviously yeah. it's a, a Chekhov's gun literally here. So I'm glad that they paid it off rather quickly. And I'm glad that we're seeing that Rhodey is a scroll before the end of the season, you know, like. It's it's been a tension that's been rising, and now that they've paid it off, uh, I think it it plays well. I thought uh, Don Cheadle perfect. He's in, he's he is every ounce of him is is a great actor, and and I thought that his delivery and the direction that that, that he had for this uh, reveal was was really fun. I I got a I got a good giggle out of it. I, well, I found it like an interesting tension um, where I, I was hating Rhodey, but then also yes. amused by Rava. So it was depending on like how I interpreted these sort of um, ultra masculine bravado lines, like President Ritson doesn't find out the sun comes up unless I brief him, or <laughs> I DDT that dude from the top right. rope. <laughs> it was which <laughs> I had to look up DDT. So for anyone else who doesn't know wrestling, it's wrestling, when you like, wrestling. yeah, you grab someone by the head and then like drive their jump back to drive their head into the ground. That's I love that you did is. the research on that, Alicia. That is true <laughs> podcaster cred right there. That is awesome. I, well, I can't not know what something means. <laughs> yeah. And then the whole like playing with like, oh, wow, did, uh, did he get fired? Just kidding. I did it. Ha ha. You know, I don't know that that whole attitude. I'm not sure whether I love it or hate it yet. But I do suspect that I wonder if Rava's playing her own game because um, all oh, of this- Oh, for sure, right? With like Priscilla, it's like trying to talk to Gravik and it's like, oh, don't you worry your pretty little head about what Gravik needs. I'm the one you talk to. Um, I'm the one telling you to kill Fury. So I don't know if I know that Gravik actually knows what Rava's up to. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? I totally think that she's got an ulterior- Ul ulterior motives and alternative agenda that we don't yet. I think we can sense it, but I don't think we have, we have the shape of it yet. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet. I think this, this show has done a good job at faking stuff out <laughs> for better and for worse. So I'm not, I'm not sure where, where I am with, with Rava, if she's, you know, on her own, you know, tangent, or if she's fully in line with, with graphic. I don't know if anyone's fully in graphic, right? I, I yeah. think I think he's the council. I think they've been cowed by graphic. Point. I, I don't know if they're fully in line with him. Um, Good point. And and I think that so much of the strongman mentality, right, that people fall in line because they're afraid, or because you know there's a part of them that wishes that they can do what the strong man is doing. So I don't know how many of the characters that we've met so far are fully 
behind Gravik's goals and purposes and whether or not they're ready to or could be ready to betray him at a, at a moment's notice. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And, and then the other question is, so Nick was listening in. Um, so apparently he bugged her somehow. And the question is, does she really not know? And she's giving the whole like, oh, he's been broken since he came back, which I still wonder if he's kind of faking it. That's it, That's been a recurring thing. Everyone talking about how broken Nick is. And yeah, he'll be dead of exhaustion, defeat. We don't need to kill him, so, which is kind of an inversion of what Gravik said about humanity. Like he said, humanity will kill itself, so we should do it first. And now she's saying, well, he's going to kill himself, so we should just let him do it on which his own timeline. felt like, for me, a little bit of... In, and I'm not... It, this isn't a criticism. This is a, an observation in story that it was weak sauce. She was trying to worm her way... Right. out of it. And, and it was a flimsy excuse that she was giving. For sure. For sure. But then, yeah, the question is, was, does, did she know Nick knew that Nick was listening? Um, I don't know. That, that's a good question. I don't know. She, that's a good question. Yeah. I kind of feel, I kind of felt in that moment that she knew he was listening. Okay. Because of the way that she was describing. Him. Interesting. Right. I, didn't, I didn't consider that, but that's a, yeah, that's a cool point. Maybe. So do you think she was de- is describing him in like in a mean spirited way that no, he was listening? No, no just yeah, no. in a protecting him, in way. defending yeah. way, yeah, in yeah. a defending way, and and hearing her describe him like, you know, he's weak, he's broken, like get your shit together, mm. you know, like <laughs> she's talking like, to him, right? Like she's actually talking to him, like get get it together, like wh- what are you doing? That's how I felt when I when I was watching this like and they were going back and forth between him listening and her talking so it felt like it was it wasn't a scene between her and Rhodey, but it was much more between her and nick interesting okay. I, yeah. I, I, that might deserve a rewatch well yeah but then uh Rhodey or rava uh, ends it with a an obnoxious wink and one of you are catching a bullet today um, <laughs> and interestingly calls her priscilla not vara so i'm not like vara, does yeah. nobody calls her vara anymore yeah. yeah i guess that identity's lost whatever she said yeah and then we cut to we cut to a small airport where pagan's worried about where gaia is and i just i have questions this is one of those logistics things where i'm like i thought you know, we saw Pagan being stopped by the captain in the last episode. And I'm like, ooh, right. they're going to be in trouble now. But apparently they just got out. So I kind of wish how? we'd... Yeah, how? What's going on? But yeah, he's worried about Gaia. And so Gravik says, like, well, she was the mole and I took care of her. And this is when he says to the goons, make it big, make it look Russian. Which I'm like, what the hell? Like, do you not pay attention right. to how the Kremlin does things because exactly. like it's like quiet poisonings and yes. like oligarchs who all mysteriously commit suicide is kind of their MO. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I want to make it a distinction too, between the Russians and the Kremlin, because I have a lot of Russian friends and family right. who do not support Putin. But I, I just, I feel like this is, I, this is going to keep bothering me. This whole thing where there's just no nuance when it comes to using Russia as like the 80s the style other. baddie. Yeah, and then we get to what turns out in retrospect to be an even more heartbreaking scene than it feels like uh, at first. We have Atalos and Gaia on the park bench, and uh, Gaia's looking stunned by her near-death experience, and Talos is all like, I shouldn't have forced you into this, and she says, it was my choice. Keep your apologies. The only place I belong is with you, Dad. Um, Just very heartwarming, but then she asks him, 
I just need to plan. And uh, Gravik, he's doing his plan and it's working, which I have questions about. I don't know. Do you think Gravik's plan is working? Gravik's plan? Yeah, that's what uh, Gaia said to her father. It's not, Gra- not working? Uh, uh, I guess. You know, he's, he's getting some <laughs> results. I think he is... It, there's some... If Gravik has the, the powers that he has, then... I guess I I don't understand. Well, I guess he's trying to maintain the ruse. I guess that makes sense. He's trying to maintain this illusion of of um, uh, human on human stuff. So I suppose it would be counterproductive for him to openly use a lot of his um, extra powers. So that, I guess that makes sense, sort of after the fact. But it does seem he, it's a, he's a little too clever by half. I think his plans are. Uh, I don't know. They're 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 not doing what he needs them to do, and uh-huh. I, I put that on him. You know, right? But from her perspective, it is working because everything that everything that he said he wants to do, he's done so far. What caused right? chaos? Caused chaos. Caused people to blame each other. But what right. is it? Yeah. How does that serve her needs? Though I mean, I guess you because just have to trust that that leads somebody yes, somewhere. Yes. And that's exactly what I was saying. Like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, okay. He said he would do this, and he did it. He said he would get this, and he got it. So what's to stop her from believing that, you know, the next um, piece of the puzzle is going to go exactly as he's saying that, that it will? So I think that's, that's the appeal. Like, I'm going to do something, and, and I actually do it. Yeah, well, I have to say, she she asks Talos for his plan, and his plan sounds very stupid. And this is where I get like, <laughs> where I get up in arms about, you know, just you need somebody if you're going to. There's something interesting to be said about the tension between idealism and activism, and you know, where activism bordering on terrorism in this case or crossing the line, and you know what what is more effective. But it, you have to at least properly represent idealism, and it's not step one. Take down the insurgency. Step uh, two, yeah. go to the president. <laughs> Step three, secure amnesty for all million. But as humans, like, and he says, just keep contributing. Show them our hearts. Ugh, Talos. Yeah, yeah. come so, on. Naive you know, and and yeah. short sighted. Right, and and when when he said that, you know, it immediately drew drew parallels to me to civil rights movements in the U.S. and mm. and how folks you know looked at mlk and malk whereas mlk is the short and sweet of it is show them the character of our hearts and they'll accept us right that's what people want to say mlk was all about as malcolm is the image of man hunkered down in front of his window the rifle ready Mm -hmm. to do whatever it takes by any means necessary right Mm -hmm. to get equal rights equal footing in this society that's being played out here on this bench it wasn't done well mm-hmm. but i understood what they were trying to do like this these two opposing ways of trying to get equality for the scrubs one is by any means necessary and the second is by showing them that we are lovable <laughs> that we are likable and that's been the tension in a lot of civil rights movements. How do we get the goals that we need to achieve, right? Is it just by being good citizens or is it by taking those rights that we deserve? 
Um, and I think that's what they're trying to play out in this scene on the bench. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. The graphics appeal in the sense of his naivete was, you know, I don't know how much was the, the direction and where the writing and the actor and the direction sort of intersect, but it was cringy and painful to watch him trying to appeal to his daughter with his very naive uh, appeal. And and in some ways it strained my credibility a little bit because, Mm -hmm. okay, Gravit can be an idealist, Mm -hmm. but he's not, sorry, sorry, Tal. Yeah. But he's not, he's been around long enough and doing enough stuff that it did ring a little false to me that he would be this naive. But it's not naive. It's not and and the the, think, the portrayal of the naivete the the oh it'll I'm, all be wonderful right it, it just it, it strained me a little bit if I just tell everyone to be nice they will yeah right but that's really that's part of a real critique of civil rights movements I, I agree and I'm not I'm not and, I'm not and, saying and think, that that yeah I just how, think how, how do you deliver that message without it being kind of wait a minute this guy he's he's not that stupid. Yeah, because the, he, the 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 portrayal of the argument was simplified. This wasn't deftly delivered. Yeah, you know? that's it maybe wasn't what I'm done saying. well. No, right. But I think Talos is that stupid at this point. <laughs> that's, that's 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 the entirety of this series. Okay, is that he is at this point right that's now stupid. that stupid. Then he and he All dies. Right. That's right. stupid. And he maybe. dies, <laughs> <laughs> and he's gone. Right. I Fair mean, enough. I have. I don't know. I have. Ugh. I'm just gonna like. I'm going to see how it all ends in this series and then headcanon a bunch of stuff. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah. So then. Um, Sorry I, to the Talos have, fans. I, uh, yeah. I apologize. No, I mean, I I've apologize. loved Ben, ben Mendelsohn in this series. Um, I just think that the lines that he been, has been given haven't always been satisfying I, and i think it's done purposely i i, yeah, I really do i think I it's know. i think it's him i think it's just sloppy script writing personally yeah i i could see that too I, I won't disagree with you on that but we have also the asgard problem again because like why is it that the scrolls can't live in their own skin and uh yeah i totally <clears throat> when she delivered that line she said that to him right uh yes. don't you want to live in your own skin mm-hmm. i immediately went back to our conversation before Jean about the Asgardians and wait a minute here, you know, and and this is where the show again is working is it's uh, addressing these questions of equality and who can you be and who, who, who has the right to claim their identities in society openly, all these kinds of things. And so therein again, as you say, it's a great dress, but the hemline was like, you know, there's, there's rough edges here, but this is, this is, unique stuff that the show is dealing with head on. They're not, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not shying away from it. Not at all. They're going straight into it. Yeah. And I also think there's an interesting theme of change coming up again and again. Um, she says here, you are, you are delusional. That's not who we are. And that's not who I've become. Love And yeah. And she stalks off and I guess, I mean, I guess at least at the end of the episode, we're led to believe this is the last time she sees her father alive. So that's a pretty tragic final interaction. That's going to stick with her. You are delusional. That's not who we are. Love yeah. it. Like, mm-hmm. this, who are we? Like I've been saying, like, 
the scrolls are not this pacifist <laughs> society. Right, right. They are and not. And we get some more of that conversation later about yes. who we really are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the line does double duty in as much as a daughter. You know, there's, uh, I'm going to segue my comment slightly. There's that, um, uh, I guess, sort of folk wisdom thing of uh, never meet your heroes, right? Because then you realize that they're just normal people. Same thing with parents. When we as children come to the realization that our parents were just people who were doing the best they could, and some did horrible and some did pretty well, and most of us are somewhere in that average middle. Um, when you as a, a child realize that your parent is just another human being struggling with this stuff. And then so for her to, to say that line, that is a painful line for her to say to come to this realization that her father is not this um, character in her life that is worthy of the, the love you know he's delusional. Oh. He's off base. You're you're you're, you're still going, worthy of love. Still yeah. worthy of love. Indeed. <laughs> but her her her, her estimation is broken of him in some yeah. in some way, right? Yeah. You know she's disillusioned in in him as the uh, leader. Yeah. Where those two things were overlaid, her, now they're her respect separating. Respect is faltered. Yeah. 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 Her, yeah. That's a way. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, you know they're they're peeling away those two different aspects of her emotions, whereas before they might have been overlaid and hard to separate. She now separating her estimation and respect for a leader from her father. And it's even more tragic given what happens later. Agreed. Mm. Alicia, you'll have to say all the words at Talos's wake because David and I won't be allowed to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Ben Mendelsohn's doing a very good job. I'll say it again. (laughs) All right, so then we get the next tragic conversation in Fury's home. I think it's interesting, a couple things about this scene. They First, they open on this wall of masks, um, which, of course, ends up being where one of them shoots later, but it's also just all the symbolism therein. And also, um, I notice when they're talking in the kitchen and the mask points at Priscilla from Fury's perspective, um, it's almost like they did some sort of inverted fisheye thing where they make her look like she's smaller and further away to sort of mm. channel his mm. distrust, how he's looking at her as like a stranger now. Oh, yeah. I have to rewatch that. Because they flipped back and forth. And then when it was him, it was normal. When it was her, she was like smaller, further away and slightly distorted. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I missed that. Yeah. That's good. That's a good pick. I normally geek out on those kinds of details as well. And um, maybe I'm not watching the show close enough for that because I'm thinking that it's not doing those kinds of things uh, because in other places they're not doing those kinds of things. I think the, the gun battle later, later with presidential uh, attack, there was some stuff in there that was just like, Oh, yeah. this is just no, really agree. simplistic. But then in, again, you know, they're there every once in a while there there's real flashes of brilliance in this show. Yeah. There's been some interesting camera work since episode one, but yeah, then yeah, this is where we get mean fury. It was like all the dumbass, <laughs> wrongheaded, reckless things I've done. You are uh, by and away the greatest mistake and just <laughs> a lot of mean spiritedness. But, um, but then of course does the whole cliche thing. Like, even though I know you plan to kill me, I'd still do it the same way. And then they both <laughs> lay their cards or rather guns on the table. And he's like, story time, Priscilla, who's Priscilla? <laughs> and She's, she says, Dr. Priscilla Davis uh, died of a secret congenital heart defect. And 
we see in this scene at one point they they show a framed book cover with Priscilla mm-hmm. Davis, the original, and it's uh, the book's called "Decoding the Superhuman Gene." So actually, new rock stars pointed that detail out. But then, yeah, that's kind of interesting that she didn't save herself then if she knew how to or ma- harvest uh, su- superhuman genes. And and then the other interesting thing is that must be linked somehow to what the scrolls are doing now. And it the other doctor. Linked, it also could be linked to, to the mutants. Yeah. And true. the MCU. It does mm-hmm. feel very much like a MCU setup, right? An yeah. MCU IP setup. It, it does feel like they're laying track work. So later on... When if you know, you know. Oh, that was in you know episode X of Show Y. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I love pointing out those details now. Yeah, so definitely. <laughs> keep littering them in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and that's what we want from this genre. I'm going to yeah. start calling MCU its own genre now, John. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's what I want from this genre is is Easter eggs and connectivity and and yes. that interstitial stuff. That's what I think makes it fun, and I think. When I'm now that you've pointed that out to me in that way, I can, I think, change my approach and appreciate it for that fact and, and say, yeah, that's why I come to the MCU is right. for that hyper interconnectivity of this universe. And those are the things that I actually enjoy as opposed to make me tired or aggravate me or frustrate me. So changing yeah. my perspective here. Yeah. Uh, See, Feige, do more. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see then, lorehounds do more. So this, yeah, is, why yeah, we, this is why we podcast. So. There you go. Um, so yeah, so then this scene also gives us insight into that complexity of Varsilla that we talked about before. You know, So we have heard that she was, um, I guess she was as an undercover, as a nurse, visiting this dying woman before revealing herself uh, uh, eventually. And she says to Fury, like, I was looking for someone who would slip your defenses. She was looking basically for an attractive, smart black woman that, you know, would um, Fury would fall for. So on the one hand, I'm like, oh, are you really going for the whole classic? Like women are just trying to manipulate you angle. And then when I rewatched it the second time, I'm like, you know what? Like, there's some interesting layers with her. What do you guys think of uh, Varsilla in this episode? Oh, I I loved her. Yeah. You know, and her, you know, her casual explanation of of the person whose identity she assumed was really, I I, I love that it was so casual. You know what right. I mean? Like, you know, this is this is a a woman from a a war torn society who, you know, came to the earth and and is looking to get her people up. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. She's looking to get her people up and, um, you know, she's going to do what she has in order to, to make that happen. And, um, it's great that she verbalizes that she used Nick and wanted to use him just as much as he used them. Right. right. That it wasn't just like a one way street where Nick right. Fury is using the scrolls and, you know, to further, Earth defenses and, you know, to further the aims of S.H.I.E.L.D. or or the U.S. government or whatever, but that the Skrulls were also, at least part of them, were also using him. And using- yeah, I, I really like that turn and reveal that, yeah, you were using us, but I was using you. Right. 
that to was further great. our own goals. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, she, I mean, I thought this story was beautiful where she asks the dying woman, um, do you want to fall in love? Um, so, yeah, you know, so she's sweet. immediately putting in there like the love yes. that was always on the table. And she asked for three promises that she'd be buried at sea, which she did, that she'd be a daughter to her parents, which apparently she's kept up, which she still um, is. I wonder if that's ever going to come back. You know, some people were wondering if she might have a, a relation to any other spider friendly Davis families. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and the last promise that she would never hurt Nick. Um, but then she, they implied she broke that, but how has she hurt him more than he's hurt her? Is my question. Exactly. Yeah. We don't know. I, I don't see it. No. It, I mean, he's, he kept leaving her. It, it hurt. Uh, uh, the way I interpret it is that, uh, given that she was leading some double life activities, then when he, he learns that she has um, been instructed to kill him and you know has procured the gun and is sitting there, that reveal of truth is a hurt because you lied to me. Right. So I, I took it as an emotional hurt as opposed to a, a physical hurt. So do, yeah. we, uh, do we, are we under the assumption that Nick has never lied to her? <laughs> I mean, he, I think he, he seems to promise. do it all the time, or right. he and he doesn't tell he doesn't tell her a lot. I think that's uh, it's lies of omission a, a lot spy. with him. I think, yeah, yeah, He's a spy, and so is she, and she, yeah, yeah, exactly, right, exactly. So a little so I, little Mister and Missus Smith here. There you mm-hmm. go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, in spy fashion, but this was super cheesy. They both shoot and miss each other on purpose. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Um, And then they ask, should we get uh, divorced to renew our vows? And I guess they're going (laughs) with the divorce part because um, he says, they'll be coming for you. She says, I can take care of myself. Um, But then, oh, my God. She asks, would you have loved me as myself? And he walks away. And I was like, dick. And then he looks back (laughs) and says, guess we'll never know. All, all I needed was a guess we'll never know, will we, sweetheart? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like an old Humphrey Bogart type of <laughs> situation. Like, oh, man. Here's and again, here we're, we're, I feel like we're seesawing back and forth between there's some really great lines here and there's some really yeah. naff lines here. Yeah. It's, exactly. Uh, you know, it's it's a one-two punch. Uh, I, I Overall, though, I, I, I liked – to I liked this scene as a whole, and I liked these actors as a whole, yes. and I liked the all of the multi layers of of what's going on here between relationship and race and spycraft and everything. It's just it's one of those great layer cakes where you cut through it, and there's just you can see every strata and every uh, detail, and each part is a little bit interesting and, and complementary in some way. Yeah, and then we get our uh, big spy scene setting up the final act of the episode um, when we see we get the official scroll reveal f- that uh, Rhodey is a scroll, and Rhodey is like the prettiest scroll scroll that I ever did see. <laughs> we, <laughs> we now know Rava was a minor character in the comics, um, a pirate apparently. Yeah, and she was played by actress Nisha Aliyah, who was actually a backup dancer for Kingo and the Eternals movie. So oh, wow. some people are excited about that because Eternals uh, and Scrolls, you know, have a link historically. And then, but she walks out as Rhodey, and immediately her face falls as, she, as soon as she's like, "Oh, look how pretty I am!" And she's like, "Oh, this dude again." Um, 
and she finds Fury sitting in the room alive. So Vara's in trouble now. Uh, and then we get more of this like machismo. I shit canned you into oblivion a few days ago. Like, okay, come on. <laughs> it's like kind of showing insecurity. So if they're trying to show insecurity, good job. Yeah. And then we get an us brothers got to stick together. What did you make of that, Sean? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. And oh, no. Um, wasn't feeling that at all. That that just felt like, yeah. No, no one, no one would say that. Yeah, like, no one would. Say well, especially, that. I mean, but it was, but it's somebody who's pretending, you know. Yeah, that's, but it's that, also exactly. just it. It reminded me of that uh, episode before where he was like, you know, our shared history and stuff. I'm like, oh, and, you better both be scrolls, or you are like you're pretending, but at least do it well. At, <laughs> at this, you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. no, no one's going to say that to another black person. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's just not happening. Yeah. Um, in the year of our Lord, 25. <laughs> That's not happening. It's not happening. So yeah, that was a big, the scene itself for me was, it was fine. I I, I like Rav uh, Rode, the way that he and Nick, the banter. I, I kind of like how she is. And you know what? It, it's really cool for me the way that i have to change my pronouns for rava yeah. Rody. i think that's really another cool thing that we're doing with the scrolls um here when you know gender identity yeah. is not something that they are concerned with um that's a good know, point and i think yeah. that's really uh, uh another i think that's really uh, another cool little feather in the cap for this series and how they're showing that this alien race that can shift into whatever they want to doesn't seem to be concerned with our gender. Right. But I do wonder, though, if that was one of the reasons why she looks so unhappy to have to go into her human form, because she's like, look, I am like the prettiest Sorry, I was going to say the queen of all scrolls, but we'll talk. <laughs> but I, I, look, I'm the prettiest scroll, scroll that ever was. And uh, now I have to be this dude. And that's not my identity. I didn't think it was that. I think it was, that's not my identity. Why do I have to be this? Why can't I just be who I am? Which is, mm -hmm. again, playing into, right. you know, the overall messaging of, of, the, of the series. Yeah. Of, of, you know, what the impetus might be for other scrolls to join Gravik. Meaning that they just want to, you know, look in the mirror and see themselves. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's for fair. who they really are, right? And um, and I think that's what most of us, human and scroll, want to be able to do: look in the okay. mirror, see ourselves for who we really are. Yeah, which I resonates. These messages are really resonating, given what some of the things that we're dealing in in the in our daily yes. politics right now. And what we've been trying to move forward on in a number of things, and there seems to be um, some disagreement about that. And I think it really, when we talk about what these shows can do and what, I think both of you guys have said this in various, at various points in various times, is that these stories can connect us to what's happening in reality. And it can illuminate and, and connect us to, um, to important issues and things like that. So uh, again, this is where the show is is striking uh, some 
some deep veins. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's some interesting things going on with the bourbon that, um, Fury <laughs> uses to, to get, yeah, he gets Rava to drink the bourbon, which has, uh, nanites in it that he uses as location trackers for the right. rest of the episode. It's a 23-year-old bottle of Papi Van Winkle. And first of all, it's interesting <laughs> that they use bourbon at all because of there's like also that history tied up with slavery there. But also this particular bottle is the exact same bottle that's in She-Hulk. Uh, there's an episode where um, Jen gets uh, a drink from her boss Holloway at the bar and it was this exact bottle. So like, oh, is this a fun Easter egg or fun. should we be paying attention? So maybe Papi Van Winkle is the drink of choice of MCU. five grand a a bottle i'm not going to be going out and and buying any so yeah exactly yeah podcasting doesn't pay that well people (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah so and then we get nick telling uh basically outs roadie as a scroll and then roadie says like well if you out me publicly then i'm going to share this video uh, that looks like you shot maria nobody's going to believe you then so just get out and I'll keep the bottle. So I'm wondering, is is Rava depressed? Like why this day drinking that she gets called out on in just a minute by the president? Yes, I, I think I don't know. She's depressed, but again, uh, how long under has pressure? She been, yeah, stressed. she's under pressure. Definitely, she's stressed out. She's under pressure. And how long has she been playing roadie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, my guess is, I, I think after Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because when you look at the roadie there, that feels like the normal roadie. And this feels like a marked, like they're really trying to make it obvious that the personality is different, this one. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I don't know. I want to agree with you, but I just don't know. <laughs> you know, I, how long have the scrolls been scrolling? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, at least 15 years. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, tw- twenty five for the originals. Well, we know right, they've yeah, been going doing back it. to to Gary's uh, early yes. career, right? Yeah. So they've been assuming human identities, you know, not superhuman identities. So how long have they been, you know, skulking around the Avengers <laughs> and everyone associated yeah. with? Yeah, that's the question. Do you think there's going to be any big scroll reveals in the back end of the season? I hope so. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I didn't, we'll get into it a little bit later. I, I kind of didn't want that um, before starting the series, mm-hmm. but I think I'm starting to shift. But who do you think it would be? That's, I, I don't know. Yeah. And that's the that's exciting the thing, is thing. Either they, well, but the thing is either it's, I mean, I kind of feel like maybe Nick, but then it's sort of, he was already revealed to be played by Talos before. So I don't know, unless they're playing like uh, musical scrolls where somebody's being somebody else and blah, blah, blah. And Nick's still in the station or something. Or I don't know. I don't know. Or or they just like bring up a a random person from elsewhere in the MCU we haven't seen in this show. And then it's like, okay, well, yay, reveal. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, so then, yeah, moving into the, the final uh, action sequence, uh, we have we have Rhodey loaded with bourbon and nanites. And- <laughs> oh, can I say something quickly mm-hmm, about the mm-hmm. tracking thing? Yeah. Again, this, this, you know, 50-50 thing, great little device. Oh, liquid tracker. Oh, that's ingenious. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And then the exposition line, oh, liquid tracking. That's uh, ingenious. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... Uh, way the show, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, or yeah. the balance, or they could have yeah. done it in, in a different way, and it just yeah. it just goes back to that 
And on the one hand, oh, clever, interesting. On the other hand, oh, really just heavy dumb handed. delivery. The, the setup yeah, was cuter than the payoff because it yeah. was like, because when he's like, uh, oh, is it poison? He's like, no, nanites. And then it's like, aha, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah, so then we, we have him uh, leading Fury there and uh, the president uh, Ritson shows up and he says that this is the most important negotiation since the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, ma- which makes me wonder why he missed that earlier hearing. Uh, and finally, we see Rhodey's aide. His arm is in a sling, and that's yeah. because last time Fury <laughs> saw him, he like kind of ripped it out of its socket or something. <laughs> Which I, I uh, there's a whole bunch in this scene that that really strains my credibility, and there's no way he'd be on, on duty. duty on duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. yeah. But and I also, funny, but again, yeah. fu- you know, yeah. oh, ha, ha, that dude. Yeah, but also I have questions about like why. Okay, so if. Rhodey is, you know, if Rava is planning to call in this strike while they're underway, why the weird thing where she stops, um, she she stops the president and like puts her hand on his arm and he like looks at it like, okay, you're acting weird. And uh, it says his whole little speech about like, you have to project strength to the Russians. At the time, I thought like, okay, maybe you're trying to sabotage the negotiations, but you don't even plan for the president to make it to the negotiations. Um so it just gives the president, a, yeah, it just gives, yeah, Rhodey quotes Lenin and the president is like, okay, why do you smell like bourbon? Right. <laughs> I wonder, well, I, that, as we're talking about it now, it makes me question how long this replacement has been going on. Yeah. And it maybe it's a little bit more recent than we mm-hmm. think because this is out of character for Rhodey and maybe if yeah. somebody had been playing this role longer, they would have they those would mannerisms know. down a little bit smoother. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I agree. And I also wondered, were they trying to kill the president or take him alive? Because mm. if they I were going to kill him, you, your attack would be just shoot it with a helicopter. But they For- did. They did shoot it, and that's. but it didn't like hit direct. It just flipped the car. Right, but I think that was but a. Then you would, yeah. Or well, or we're going to get into it now, so let's get into it. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Do you have some more okay. setup you want to do for this scene? Um. No. Yeah. Just uh, there seems to be diminishing trust for Rava Rodi within the government, and yeah, the question, the stupid response. I don't think. Not sure. I understand the question about the bourbon. It's not going to help. Right. <laughs> I think it, it, I read it as a comedy, as just comic. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, but then immediately on the way, Rava Rhodey's like in transit to the summit, Citadel in position four. So basically saying, aim your um, explosive at this fourth car. Interesting, because I took it differently. I took it as don't shoot the fourth car. That's the target. That's where... But then they shoot it, and but it doesn't hit direct, and it just causes the car to flip over. It didn't hit directly. That's that's what I. That's what made me. A question whether they wanted oh they just want to replace him well they wanted to take out the lead car well so they're trying to set up uh yeah they're they're trying to set up world war three right so they want the russians to be blamed and and which apparently works because somebody else no question it's the russians like come on i really (laughs) hope that's a scroll (laughs) but the way when they uh start the assault i read you know you take out the way that it would in my mind it would work would be you take out the lead and the tail and then you have your, you know, your, your protectee in the, in the middle, right? So you want to take out the, the point of the spear and you want to take out the, the reaction, quick reaction forces that are coming up from behind. And so by taking out the lead vehicles, right, you create the ambush space 
then you can, you know, go in and do whatever you I so I always assumed that they were trying to um if the president ends up dead, fine, but at the same time I think they wanted to get their hands on the president. Right. Because if right. you have him alive and replace him, then you've got you've got you've got more leverage because then you can say, Oh, you know, I'm the president and I escaped the attack of the Russians and right. we're going to war. Or if he's dead, then you still get the same objective, which is the vice president is right, we're going to war against the Russians. Yeah, it just seems if you want to replace him, there's so many more easier times to do that just at the White House quietly. But I guess it's they're combining it with this like make it loud, make it Russian thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which makes no sense. Yeah. No. What for, I agree. what's your say more, Jean? No, I just um I I I questioned whether they wanted dead. Okay. I thought I thought they really wanted to take him, take the president alive. Yeah, and it just I, I don't this this entire scene was kind of weird to me mm-hmm. because on the one hand I I fully grasped when they were he was speaking Russian wanted whoever survived mm-hmm. to to be able to say, Oh, I heard Russian. they were they were speaking Russian and right. so it must mm-hmm. be Russia. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, it was just like why anybody survived? Right, mm-hmm. they're, yeah. they're not going to take anybody live. And then, why was the motorcade so small? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Like when the president travels, Bruh. they're not doing Bruh. it. They're not doing it <laughs> incognito unless he's on a flight to. They they send the president on a flight to like some war torn, you know, combat zone. Right, they don't want anyone to know. Right. But when the president's in your town. You know they, it. They want you to know. <laughs> they're not taking back roads. And and if they're taking back roads, it's miles. The motorcade itself is I was <laughs> insurmountable. Um, I was once once uh it professionally doing some work and we were I was in Athens and Joe Biden was visiting and we were there and the motorcade, the block, the street, the, the number of vehicles for the vice president, mind you. Right. And then there's a whole second unit that's not even directly part of the primary motorcade, which is the quick reaction force or the counter react or the the, the counter uh, force, which is okay if you know you get the protectee away, and then there's a whole other unit that just does battle, that is just right, designed to right. f up everything and everyone in that in that area. So yeah, it. it I get it. The, it. This is what I said before at the at the beginning. There are things that were straining my credibility of this right. scene. As a plot device, moving the story forward, it's I get fine. It. Yeah. I, I yeah. can, I can, yeah. I can wave jazz hands. Uh, but yeah. yeah, there are things that I from that, a, that. That's the one thing that really yeah. struck out to me. And then to have the Brits come in to save the American president, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. it was. Yeah. And why? Why was Gravik using his own face in this? And like, yes. why? Like, yeah. And then yeah, at some yeah. point, I guess he decides like covers blown or whatever. But then he like uses a Groot arm to squeezy pop an aid. Like why do that? <laughs> then, like pop. why not go all the way then? You know right. that's where I scratched my head because. Yeah. But then I answered my own question later because he doesn't want to show off his powers because then suddenly that defeats the purpose of the 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 Russian setup. For me, no, I, I think it it plays well into the Russian setup if he were to reveal power. 
Because Ooh, then, okay. Yeah, All right. Because little little like, extra dimensional trash there. I like then that. Then it's like, because the so Russians far in the- superpowers. Yeah, okay. because so far in the MCU, you know, except aside from the Black Widow film, what we've known of superpowered beings has been America-centric, right? Yep. Uh, and it, and if we're trying to, you know, open up the- Except for the, the Winter Soldiers. I don't even count them because they don't count. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the yeah. Black Widow is our, basically our only attempt at peeking into- all, There's a lot yes. of Russian superheroes that are not no, there being are used a lot. yet. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't make sense to me to have, you know- this Russian super soldier attacked the, the president, you know, and, and and that be a call to arms for the U.S. saying, you know, well, they're using super soldiers against, you know, the president and they've, they've attempted to do X, Y, Z. So now we have no choice. So I think it would have been totally, you know, not blowing the cover to have used his powers, right? Because it would have just—it yeah. would have been accelerant. It would have—it uh, yes. would have ramped up the, yes. the intensity of it all. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. I, I love how um, Fury is saying to Talos, "The whole planet will be a kill zone if we don't uh, save Ritten." And then you just cut to Rhodey just like chilling in the car. Yeah, just, yeah. Like, <laughs> that was weird. Wasn't checking it? like Twitter or something. <laughs> and we don't like, see what happens to to, to No, I don't think I don't think we check back in. I mean, I assume just like yeah, comes out. I guess takes off because everyone drives away. So I guess he just is driven off. Yeah, not sure. Yeah, yeah. Still in the motorcade, not blown. Right. 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 But certainly didn't put on a Iron Man style suit to, you know, protect the president. No, that's no. true. Which, Which is we know another that, weird thing. Yeah. We know that that, I don't know how sm- how miniature the Iron Man suit is, but I, I certainly remember, I think uh, one of them was a bracelet. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, I mean, they already re- referenced nanoparticles this episode. So. Yeah. But War Machine yeah. with. Doesn't have the same. His suit is not the same as the Iron Man suit. No, but I think you would take advantage of the uh, miniaturization so that at any moment, uh, War Machine can become War Machine, wouldn't you? Yeah, I I think Tony built the machine step different. Okay, like he kept yeah, some I mean, things but, yeah. for Iron Man that he did. Right, well, include. he's got a briefcase, you know, he's that got a briefcase, something, yeah, something, something. He's got to have, he's gotta have yeah. his suit something with in him. the trunk. Somewhere he, he doesn't have time. Yeah. He could be anywhere in the world. He doesn't have time to get back to under the sea base. You know, whatever. His, yeah. Exactly, yeah. it has to be somewhere. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. Well, we've we've gotten to the saddest, the saddest part of the episode, but not just like necessarily in tears, but saddest in terms of like me shaking my head at the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> We get uh, Talos is shot in the shoulder by Pagan, and uh, you see this was actually I have to give do uh, give a shout out to makeup and VFX here because yeah, um, yeah. that whole thing of Talos half turning into a scroll really awesome. well done. Yeah, that was cool. Even down to uh, a little bit of uh, human colored skin in the yes. ear yes. as the last little patch. Yeah, it was good. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and then and we see a soldier who's like an alien trying to get to the president, and Fury's like, "Hold your fire, he's with us." And then we see that's the same soldier who comes back to like help tell us. So at first, I was like, "Oh, so they're showing that humans and aliens can work together?" But no, (laughs) 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 it's Gravik, and he stabs him in the heart. That was brutal. Yeah, yeah. 
And then now Fury also knows about Extremis because he shoots him in the face, which mm-hmm. fair, and his face is like Terminator's back in place. Which is a great uh, reveal for Fury yes. that right. the stakes are even more serious than you thought at first. Yes. Yeah. So, so does that change his plan of not yes. calling in? Fury's plan. Huh? Calling yeah. in for help. Mm. Ooh, good question. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, maybe that's a silver lining. I like because it. Because I got to say, like, I don't feel any better about a character dying for no satisfying reason to motivate others when it's a man. It's just, it's just as bad. Um, <laughs> I think Michelle E put it well on Twitter. She said, I was prepared to be sad, but now I feel like my grief has been somewhat robbed for me because he's dying for like Ritson, a character who's probably going to die anyway in the next two episodes. So it looks kind of, yeah, he kind of a jerk president. Too. He's, he's, dying, <laughs> as well. he's yeah. dying for Ritson who, I mean, who is Ritson? Mm. Yeah, like, exactly. What has he done? Right. You know, we don't know anything about this president. I right? love Dermot Mulroney, yeah, but like exactly. the characters like been we, in like three we, scenes. Right. We don't know anything about this president. And it seems like, you know, Talos is again putting his faith in into something, into this general um feeling that if we just show them that we are exceptional and they they will accept us. And he gets killed for that um, thought process. For right. seeing the world the way that he sees it. And forgive me, but don't forgive me. Because uh, I'm not asking for forgiveness for this. But I always see it in in this term of, again, he's lived his life on earth as a white man. Mm-hmm. With all the privileges and all of the kumbayanis that that can give one whereas gravic has not and this idea this notion i think this is what this this series is is really drilling down into is how do we live as our authentic selves Mm -hmm. what is that how do we get along in this in this society being who we are and accepted for who we truly are. I feel like Talos is not when I called him stupid earlier, it, it's <laughs> it's it's it, he's not living authentic. Mm-hmm. Right? Even if you go back to the to the um Captain Marvel movie his progression from where he was then to where he is now is totally like, (laughs) I I don't understand where he got this faith in just being good enough will lead us to where we want to be because that's not who he was in the Captain Marvel movie. Mm -hmm, He wasn't that. Right. Right. And, and he went from, I'm trying to get my people to safety to I'm trying to get my people to safety by pretending to be something that I'm not. Yeah. Two very different, you know, viewpoints in his in Talos mentality. And his death is just at that point a culmination of mistakes to me in my eyes. Mm, mm-hmm. It's a culmination of mistakes. He put his 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 faith in fury for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. He put his faith in, you know, just trying to prove myself for over 30 years and mm-hmm. improving myself, then I will be taken and loved and accepted for who I really am. 
And the first instance that he showed his true self, the soldier wanted to shoot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it took Nick mm-hmm. Fury, a black man, mind mm-hmm. you, to mm-hmm. stop that from happening. He's right. with me. That's what Nick Fury said. He's with me. Damn, I completely this, missed all. Yeah, like, totally. He's with me. Like, no, yes, he's with you, but man, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that soldier would have had his gun trained on you, Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. He would have had his gun trained on those protesters, you know, trying to fight for equality, Nick Fury. You know, when you were on that segregated train and tried to move up to the, you know, the white car, there could have been a, a police officer or a soldier pointing their gun saying, you know, you know, get back to where you belong. It's the series for all that I don't like about it. This is the reason why I love it. Right. Yeah. Yep. For these yep. little instances that make me go, hmm. And I have to believe it's done purposely because, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is, is a producer, is credited as, as being a producer right. on right. this. So I have right. to believe this is really creative choices that they're making. Nice. They seem to have chosen to put a lot of attention on that theme. So, it, yeah, it makes sense. We see it in more scenes. Yeah, we get a we get a cool low angle shot, by the way, of Talos uh, lying on his back with soldiers advancing Ugh. with guns raised with the slanted sunlight behind yeah. him. So. I mean, I just have to shout out cinematographer yeah, uh, Remy. I, I don't know if it's out of out of Farrison or out of Farrison or so, but anyway, um, he's doing some really cool work in this. And I have maybe a little sliver of hope. Fury leaves the body. Maybe he's not dead again. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> Talos and Maria are going to come back hand in hand uh, in the post credit scene. Oh <laughs> man. They're going to say, Alicia, you were right about everything. <laughs> I hope to be able to say that at the end of <laughs> claim your internet points season six. I hope uh, of episode six. I hope to be able to yeah, say it's desperate that. wishful thinking now. Yeah. yeah I think Talos is dead. Deader than dead. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's sad that Gaia wasn't there, but um, yeah, let's see how it motivates her. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will jump into the comics corner, uh, get some feedback, and then talk a little bit about our July schedule. And we're back. Okay, so we've got Comics Corner, and um, Alicia, you've got some stuff on Greek mythology, and Jean, you've got some details uh, for us as well. So why don't why don't let's do the Greek mythology first? Oh, um, yeah. Well, since we apparently have the demise of Talos, I thought <laughs> it was a good time to bring up that you know Talos is a name from Greek mythology, and it was. Talos was a bronze automaton made to protect uh, the Phoenician princess Europa, who is the mother of uh, Minos, who's known for having the uh, Minotaur in the labyrinth. And so this is basically protecting Europa on behalf of Zeus so that like Zeus could be the only one who like raped her, basically. And Talos also fought the Argonauts and was slain by the sorceress Medea, driving him mad so that he'd remove his own nail plug, um, basically driving him to suicide. So 
I'm wondering if there's an analogy in there where Europa is would be Gaia in this, I would yeah. imagine. Would Zeus be Gravik or would Medea be Gravik and Nick be Zeus? Um, who is the one driving Talos mad to yeah. commit himself, uh, to commit suicide in a futile way? Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Nick's Fury's fault. But anyway, that's just some, some food for thoughts. Uh, yeah, see if there's any more planes, any more uh, parallels that play out in the, you know, as we deal with what's happened with Talos. So when I, I alluded earlier in the episode, um, but do you think that Rava could be playing like the, the Queen Veronke role from the comic? Um, I, I, I don't know. When you asked that question, I, I thought about it and, and I've, and I've landed squarely on, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so Queen Veronke in, in, in the comics, she's, she's one of the main drivers of secret invasion She's the head of the Skrulls. She's the queen of the Skrulls. She has assumed the role of Jessica Drew, um, Spider-Woman, and that, that was revealed. The Skrulls had, had taken Spider-Woman sometime before, so Veronke became Spider-Woman in the Marvel comics until the reveal um, happened and the invasion began. Veronka was at war with uh, Emperor Doric the, the seventh of the Skrulls in the comic books, so she was a... Uh, uh, she had a splinter from the emperor. So, and she was fighting two wars because again, earth was seen as the scrolls as a promised homeland. Once their home world was destroyed by Galactus, it was seen as this is where the prophecy is, is going to lead us. The prophecy is earth. So this is ours and we're going to take it. Doric the seventh um, was for all intents and purposes, not, doing a good job according to you know a lot of scrolls and Veronica at the top of that list so she implemented this plan to take over the earth so i don't know if rava in the series is working against gravik in the way that Veronica was working against emperor doric but wouldn't the, the analogy here be Emperor Doge, who we've heard we've heard referenced, and we know that a bunch of scrolls, a million of them, don't want to live in his colony. The thing that's giving me pause is that there is no Gravik in the comics. It's right. Veronke and Doric. Here we have this triple. You think Gravik plays a Veronke role? Yeah, yeah. Because now we have Gravik in opposition to the Emperor in the MCU. But if we're asking if, if Rava could be another point of you know, contention, this opens up the story in a way that it, it didn't in the comic book. So that's why I'm not sure if she is playing that role, because like you just said, it could be that Gravik is the one who is actually playing the Veronke role in that he wants to do what Veronke wanted to do in the comics, which is make Earth their home world. Okay. For me... One of the, the biggest um, changes and borderline disappointments for the series as opposed to the comics is that the reveals of the scrolls in the comics were, were all shit moments. Like, holy shit. Like, oh, wow. Oh, man, I did not see this coming at all. I haven't had that moment yet in the series, right? Um, Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman was an oh shit right. moment. You know, Elektra, when she was killed, Elektra was the first to be revealed to be a scroll, Electra in the comics is, you know, she's an assassin. She's a very capable hand-to-hand, -hand, one of the best fighters in the MCU. 
And when she was killed, it was like, that's what set off the entire um, secret invasion plot. Henry Hank Pym was Ant-Man, was revealed to be a scroll. Who else? Jarvis, the Avengers butler, (laughs) was revealed to be a scroll, which was really like, (laughs) oh my God, Jarvis too? And Black Agar Boltigan, I just love saying that name as often as I can, who was Black Bolt of the Inhuman, the Inhuman King. Um, Let's say it again, Black Agar Boltigan. So (laughs) he was revealed to be a scroll, which was pretty big deal at the time because he was part of the Illuminati, the Illuminati group that Tony Stark had formed with Doctor Strange. So that reveal was like, oh, wow, they've had an insider working within this group of super secret heroes that were trying to make changes behind the scenes in in Marvel Comics. And that was really something to be like, oh, man, I can't believe it. I haven't had that moment in the series, which is why I said earlier, I hope that maybe we get some, you know, reveals. I would like to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Rhodey reveal... You know, even though I didn't think it was Rhodey, unlike Alicia, uh, <laughs> kudos to you again for calling that out early on. But when it was revealed, it was like, oh, it's Rhodey. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it was just like, it's always been Rhodey, you know? <laughs> so I, I, I really didn't get that. I haven't had that feeling yet, like really draw dropping reveal and that's something that i'm waiting for i don't know if they can do it in the series as well as they did in in the comics but will that remains to be seen i'm i uh agree that so far with the scroll reveals i'm pretty much meh okay yeah you know there hasn't been i i agree with you there's been nothing that's really shaken me or or wowed me or excited me fingers crossed we have two more episodes to go um right so let's see what, what happens. Okay. Uh, we have a piece of feedback. I believe I'm going to, pr- I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. I apologize, but they did send in notes that for the pronunciations. They say, uh, Pele, I believe no silent letters. <laughs> so Pele wrote in using the contact form on our website. I missed this email last week. So apologies for not including it. If you don't feel like we ignored you, it was just an oversight on my part. And I promise I'll, I'll do a better job in future. Anyway, they write in, hello there, been a fan of yours since Rings of Power. Episode three, glad we're once again watching the same thing. Agreed. It's, it's always weird with the content schedules, what we get to watch and not watch and how our uh, listenership changes with that. They've also been reading The Silmarillion, so they express their joy in that. In Secret Invasion, episode two, or episode two and three feedback. So some of their comments are a little bit out of time sync. That's fine. We can talk about them. Let's see here. I've got some feedback out of time for writing, but I've not seen it yet. I've not read the Secret Invasion comics. Let me preface this with I'm not an American and as a white as they come. Since race is such an important part of this episode and show, I thought the disclaimer was apt. First of all, the scene at Maria's funeral, I think she's fully dead, by the way, echoes the scene in Civil War between Iron Man and the Sokovian mother who held him personally responsible for the events at the age of Ultron. While that mother was more correct, the emotions at play are the same. Um, so this is a rather long email, so I, we'll just break it up and we'll, we'll react to each individual part. What do you guys think about the call out to uh, Civil War and uh, Segovian? I mean, I think yeah, it's probably supposed to evoke that same thing. I still, like I said, it's a desperate hope, but I hope Maria's not dead. 
<laughs> but she probably is. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think she's dead or dead as well. Unfortunately, okay. at this point, um, yeah. I'm, not hope, I'm not hopeful. I am not hopeful, but I, I, I remain. I just think it was a it was a waste of a death, and the whole thing with the mother was also like I expected something of that rather than just like remember to be motivated by this character death. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which will, which will, I think, which will stain my my I my feeling for this show if it goes the way that I right. think it's going to go. All right, uh, next, Rhodey. I don't think he's a scroll, nor do I think Fury is. <laughs> Sorry, um, this would have been more appropriate last episode, but we uh, have our reveal. They continue. I believe Rhodey will probably face off against Gravik for a big Marvel finale battle. Hmm. Gravik still will, could be true. Still could be true. Gravik will die is is tradition. The reason Rhodey can fire Fury is because of the envoy to the envoy to the US thing. Colonel Rhodes is a lower rank than Fury, but he's not there as a colonel. He's there as the US government. Good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, final point that there uh, that I found is in the train scene, more important than the conversation between Fury and Rhodey, because it shows Fury actively becoming the white people of his past. And I think he realized what he said as soon as Talos left. Thoughts? I mean, so we know Rhodey is a scroll, right? So I don't know if it's going to be Rhodey against Gravik. Right. Well, but I think that lead, all of that feedback comes into no, question. But, but it could lead to okay. what Alicia's talking about. Does Rava have her own unit? Agenda. Agenda. Yeah. So even though we know that Rhodey is Rava, does that take that off the table? Yeah. Good question. Or does it make it more likely? Yeah. Or does it right. make it more likely? Exactly. Yeah. So, right. you know, Pele might be onto something. Yeah. Even though accidentally coming around to it, <laughs> given yeah. that we know Rhodey's a <laughs> scroll. What do we think about the train conversation that uh, Fury is upset and is in rather than welcoming and saying, okay, we got to figure this out. Y'all are here. Uh, saying no, that was a, that's a bad thing, and and it's not good. What what is his motivation there, and and what position of power does that place him in? Rhodey's a scroll shutting. I mean, sorry, Fury's a scroll shutting the door behind him. That's my, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing wild predictions out there. We'll see what sticks in the finale. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I I could I could get down with that. I can get down with that. I I think. Yeah, I, I just I, I the the racial politics of of this of this series are deserve their own, you know, breakdown by itself. Right. Uh, you know, separate from discussing you know, overall episodes. Right. What they're doing, the conversations that they're having about identity, conforming or not conforming and about who gets to live and as, as them, they truly are um, that it deserves a critique all of its own. So, at the end of the series, I'll have a better, I think, um, I'll, I'll come to a better place with how I view the totality of, of the story. I think it's fair to say that maybe at the um, end, either as a final or as a recap episode, if you've got notes, then let's bring, let's create some space around that so that we can have a longer conversation uh, that goes into some of those deeper things if, if you're yeah, that, uh, keen I to bring that. I think that would be, be cool. We can even do it uh, slightly delayed, uh, you know, given the given time to bring together thoughts and material doesn't have to 
we can just make it an MCU podcast um, that is not necessarily tied to the episode. You know, we usually try to get season recaps done a, sort of a week after an episode right. airs, but we can just kick it as part of a our general MCU conversation a little bit down so that we have time to let it breathe and let our thoughts come together and bring our notes together. Uh, that would be probably a cool conversation. All right. That, I'm down for that. Okay. I'm, I'm interested to see... I mean, a lot of a lot of what I'm feeling now is this like wait and hold and see how it all comes together yeah. in the end. Right. We can see if they yeah. can um, yeah. uh, bring the bring the series in without uh, <laughs> making too much of a mess of it. All right. Picking up on the email, the roadie scene is just racial blackmail on his part, shifting the blame for his own issues onto roadie. Gravik will take all the powers for himself. He can't trust other people with something that can be used against him. It plays well with the unchecked powers thing being both political and literal playing into that. The reason the council bows down to him is because they respect power and see an emperor in him that will help them rebuild. Jean, I think this goes to your point earlier that the scrolls are an expansionist people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with, with the point that, you know, they just respect and fear go hand in hand here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I see that as as being true. I don't think Nick is using any sort of racial blackmail in his conversation with Rhodey in that first scene of them together. Um, I think uh, that was pretty authentic as far as, you know, portrayals go on TV shows as yeah. to conversations that, that black folk do have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, give the, there was no blackmail there, but it was a scene to two black men. And at the time, Nick didn't know that Rudy was a scroll. So right. he was he was talking as authentically as he could talk because he he's thinking he's talking to another member of the tribe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I don't see it at Got it. All right, to conclude on the uh, feedback, my last piece of feedback is about Gaia. I disagree with the notion that she would be too old for a teenage rebellion. We don't know what Mm. scroll society is like. Perhaps they reach that point at a later point in their life due to their longevity. It's a too human-centric point of view to assume. Secondly, I believe she's committed to Gravik's plan until the point where she actually sees it happen, and at that point flips. I believe she's playing both sides against the middle, helping out humanity in a bid to ma- um, to take out Gravik. I fully believe she sh- she thought that the bags would container bombs, but isn't privy to all the information. Oh, contain bombs, but isn't privy to all the information. Clearly, he's not trusting her, and I think he suspects she's disloyal, but can't, uh, but still has uses. Um, his error then is assuming she's working for Talos and will be blindsided when she pulls. Daenerys Targaryen (laughs) and pours metaphorical gold down his throat. She just needs to be, uh, needs to get into the inner circle first. Have a good one and see you the same time next week. Thank you for your email. Again, apologies for missing it. And I look forward to future of your emails because there's a lot going on in the show and then we're coming up on the finale. So I definitely would like to hear uh, from some more fans so that we have some stuff to react to. Do you guys have any thoughts on the final bits here about Gaia? I mean, yeah, I agree that she could be going through something. I I think the biggest problem with Gaia is that we don't know enough about 
I, I mean, I hope they swivel to pay more attention to her inner life, to her background, to her experience, and rather than just like using her as a chess piece. But yeah, obviously this uh, this distrust panned out. Yes, and and I think it's interesting to say, yeah, maybe she was committed to Gravik until maybe it really is what they showed us on the screen, where you know Talos convinced her by saying your mother's dead because of him, and now he's going to kill thousands of other people. And then she sees it happen. Right. I think it's interesting that, yeah, maybe she did know that the bombs were, she did think bombs were in the bag, and that was another test from Gravik. Right. Mm. Mm. right. Interesting. All right. All right. Once again, uh, feedback, mcu at thelorehounds.com, or head over to our website, thelorehounds.com, and there's a contact form and a voicemail feature, which works pretty well. You just click a button, and, and you record something straight off your computer. Um, and of course, we have our Discord uh, link in the show notes below. Um, lots of folks chatting about the show. We've uh, there been a lot of chit chatter recently in the last couple of days. So um, uh, join us over there. All right, to our Patreon subscribers, thank you all for your support. Uh, we couldn't do uh, any of this without you. To our lore master, top tier supporters, Samartian Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P. Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Joyce E, Andra B, and Quang Yu, who just upgraded their account. We um, thank you all so very much. Quang Yu took advantage of the new annual subscriber feature that we have. So if you're interested in, rather than doing a monthly billing, we turned on the annual where, where, where our Patreon account was eligible because we've been around long enough, et cetera, et cetera. So we were able to flip that on as part of our birthday sort of offerings. And we've got, a, if you do that, you get a little bit of a, a discount on the annual subscription as well. Again, for everyone who is subscribed at the end of July... We're going to be sending out a thank you gift. It's a custom-made sticker. This is a once-in-a-lifetime sticker. Uh, we're not going to make this available to uh, on a merch shop or issue this again anywhere. It's, it's limited edition, and it's got a uh, custom-written Elvin script that says, One Year of Good History, and it's got our original uh, Second Age logo. I got the proofs the other week. They're sitting on a table in the other room. I just paid one of the invoices for production. So things are moving and we'll be putting those in the mail towards the end of the month. So doesn't matter how long you've been a subscriber, as long as you're on my subscription list, when I print it out on the last day of July, you will get one of these stickers because without you, we would not have been able to do any of this. Uh, we just had our one year birthday was July 11th. We put out a special version of our Patreon exclusive podcast called second breakfast. And in that we included some, some interviews with all of our co-hosts, John and Alicia, you guys are, uh, on those as well. We decided it was just too cool of a little bit of a thing. So it was too cool. So we sliced it up and put it out to the general public. Cause I think it's just a fun way for folks to get to know who our community is and, and to hear all the different voices. I even got a con we got a comment from somebody who's saying that they don't listen to the MCU stuff because they're just not an MCU fan. And so they hadn't heard Jean before and they were really excited to get to know Jean a little bit, even though, you know, they, uh, you've been around for a while, but a little you know, bit. <laughs> yeah, for a minute. So 
Thank you again to all our Patreon subscribers. Uh, so let's talk about our upcoming, the rest of our schedule for the month of July. Real quick, Alicia, we have finished up with Silo Season 1. It was a great episode. Yes. I know we are scheduled to jump on with you to do a season recap. Can yeah. you clue us well, in? Well, it's going to be season season awards. Season, season awards. awards. Oh, an awards yes. show. Okay, fun. Yes. Can you clue us into what Alicia has cooking? Because I know you've got plans. You've got podcasting plans. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this it's winding down. It's going to be a little quiet on the Wool Shift Dust feed for a little bit, but then we'll be picking up at in August with the Dune series, which Ooh. is going to be we're going to be diving into the book Dune, and then you know at least four, no fewer than four adaptations of it. So we're going to be not only you know studying all of the intricacies of the world building and the philosophy and, and character development and questions about gender and power and all those things. But also we're going to be taking the opportunity to look at like, well, Hey, what makes a good adaptation? Mm. You know, mm. um, why do some work in some ways and others and not? And what should we be considering when we're looking at that? So, um, yeah, that's, that's going to be the main feature. That's that's cool. I was just going to ask that it's going to come out on your wall. So, so listeners don't have to change anything. They just keep right. listening. And they'll right. get those. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then uh, in the meantime, and in, um, we'll also be running alongside that, is that we're doing the Silo Book Club on Patreon. Fun. And so that is uh, Silo TV fans and I are, we are going like all of the conversations that we've been having all season about all the book spoilery stuff. We're going to be now sharing that with everyone, <sighs> all of our thoughts and theories, but also first starting with the breakdown of the individual books. So we're going to be releasing those episodes every two weeks, uh, starting with, well, there should be an episode already live by the time this goes out, which is a continuation of my Hugh Howie interview. Nice. So that's patreon.com slash wool shift dust, all one word. One word. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very yeah. Cool, I'm looking at the cool. Patreon there. Uh, that's really exciting. I bet you are super excited to take the uh, spoiler guardrails off Absolutely. and just go full bore on on all the fun stuff of the books. I've not read the books yet, but I can only imagine that what the show is giving us, the books have to be uh, excellent. Yeah, I've been biting my tongue a lot. So it's nice, you know, I get to talk now about, you know, when Gloria started talking about putting stuff in the water, I was like, yeah. now I get to actually talk about that. <laughs> and then you've got other things bubbling, but we're not going to say anything about yeah. those until they're actually ready. Stay tuned and you shall hear. Yes. Awesome. Um, uh, the other podcast I really want to promote is Properly Howard Film Reviews. Our good friend, Mr. Anthony who runs the Electric Boogaloo podcast over on the Bald Move Network. He and his buddy, Steve Osborne, who is a, a stand-up comic, have a film review podcast. This season, they're going to be covering a series of films that have been remade. So they started with Howard the Duck. They're going to be doing White Men Can't Jump. We were just on a recording with them doing a Dune, speaking of Dune, uh, a discussion of yeah. the, the 2021 version of Dune. And they've got more in store. It's great fun because Anthony as a academic and Steve as a stand-up comic, they bring this really great dynamic and uh, they have a lot of fun talking about films. And if anybody's questioning what, what, what does properly Howard mean, they, their shtick is at the end of the, the review, they say, was this film, uh, how does this rate against the average 
Ron Howard film? Is it better or worse? And so if it's properly Howard, that is a measure. Some stuff for the Lorehounds. We, as I mentioned, we just released our birthday podcast. Uh, so you can check that out. We also had a standalone coverage of The Bear, uh, a one shot. Uh, we also did a one shot for Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson film. Anthony and I, speaking of Anthony, just did that. And that should be in your feeds already. We are just starting up full coverage of Foundation. Just watched the first episode last night and already working on the outlines for that. John and I are going to be doing full coverage. We also have an Ahsoka retrospective that we're preparing for for the live action, which is coming next month. So in other ongoing shows, we have Lorehounds Play. John and Brandon are going to be doing a uh, Jedi Fallen Order breakdown. Our Ursi book coverage is continuing with part two of The Furthest Shore. And then we'll have a Silmarillion stories out at the end of the month. And both of those podcasts are going to have Marilyn R. Pekila on them. So we have a lot going on. It's a busy month and it's only going to get busier as we're moving forward with Foundation and then Ahsoka and then Wheel of Time. So the latter half of the year is going to be busy. Just as we are going to record the news of the SAG-AFTRA strike is uh, broken and uh, a lot is going to be changing in the near future. So giving our thoughts and strength to everyone who's out on the picket line, we are with you. Yep. And uh, we hate not having things to to cover. But but, we understand. uh, We totally understand and we We will make do. We will be fine. Absolutely. Uh, You guys do what you need to do and just know that we're in your corner. Thoughts? Recap thoughts, guys? Anything that you're looking forward to to next episode? I'm looking forward to be surprised. It feels like there's only two episodes left. This must be where things, uh, pedal hits the metal, right. so to speak. Fingers crossed. Hopefully. Yeah, and I don't mean just, you know, that motorcade battle, but like right. where the plot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. 